Take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to Acts chapter 11. I heard about an old boy, he's a farmer, he was carrying his family to the county fair. They were driving down through there, and frog was hopping across the road. So he stopped, got out, picked the frog up, and set him over on the side of the road. He's going back to his truck, and the frog said, Sir. And the old farmer turned around and said, You speak to me? He said, Yes, sir, I sure did. He said, You can talk? He said, Yes, sir, I sure can. He said, That's amazing. He said, No, what's amazing is I have special powers. And that's the kindest thing anybody ever did for me. I want to reward you. So I'm going to give you any one wish you want in the world. You can have it right now. He said, you're kidding me. No, any one thing you want, I'm going to give it to you. He said, well, he said, uh, you know, I'm a pretty simple man. I don't want much. He said, I got old Blue, my old dog there in the truck. And they having a dog race down there to the fair, and I wish old Blue could win one more race before he goes to heaven. Frog said, well, let me see him. He went and drug old Blue out of the truck. He didn't have but three legs. One eye was missing. One ear was chewed off. Frog looked at him and said, sir, I'm good, but I just don't know that I'm that good. He said, anything else you want? He said, well, yeah, yeah. Come to mention, there he is, eh? They're having a beauty contest down there to the fair. I sure wish my wife could win that beauty contest. Frog said, well, let me see her. He got her out of the truck. Frog looked at her and said, let me see that dog again. (laughs) So now all those folks that didn't come tonight missed one of the best jokes they could have heard anywhere. Before I preach, I want to say a word. I, I'm, I'm very burdened about our convention. Southern Baptists have been the greatest denomination on earth. And we have this strong movement, particularly among young preachers today, called Calvinism. And it is a destructive, violent, church-killing virus. And it's going to erupt at the convention, I'm thinking. But I pray that when all the dust settles, we'll still be a people. That the majority of our churches, our pastors, our deacons, our Sunday school teachers, our members will hold on to the fact that Jesus Christ died for any soul that would trust him and ask him to forgive them of their sins and save their soul. It's the only way, folks. I don't care what these people say. There's no election that determines my eternal destiny. My eternal destiny is determined by whether or not I trust in Jesus. And that's my choice. And if you die as I preached that sermon this morning without Christ, you made the choice, not God. He didn't predetermine you are going to go to hell or heaven. And besides that, let me just tell you, I'm like that old farmer. I'm a pretty simple man. 
And if you really stand where the Calvinists stand, why in the world would you even fool with church, being a Christian, or anything else? Because you either are or you ain't. And they can cover it up, slice it and dice it, any way they want to. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And we take that out of our Bible. We take that out of our hearts. We take that out of the Southern Baptist heritage. We have gutted us of our strongest belief. So please pray. I pray for Dr. Steve Gaines, the president of our convention, who's going to have to moderate this thing. And I pray that stronger, more spiritual heads will rise up and control this and defeat it in the name of Jesus for the good of all mankind and the hope of this world till Jesus comes. So you pray for this. The devil's real and he's working. And I never thought I'd see this day come, not in my lifetime or ever, but it's here and uh, I'm praying. And I hope that you will. Well, I preached that sermon. Can y'all stand one more? Uh, Memorial Day was the other week, and uh, I got to thinking. You know, uh, when you think about Memorial Day and all those who gave the ultimate price for our land and our freedom, I think about... Just what I was talking about, the Southern Baptist Convention, our churches, this church. Of the blood, sweat, and tears that went into the history and the lives of this place and this building. And I want us to think tonight about the name that we bear, the the name Christian. I want us to honor our spiritual family. I think most of us do honor our name as Christians. I read about a census taker years ago in the mountains of Tennessee who knocked on the door of a woman who had six children. And he asked her, he said, Ma'am, how many children do you have? She said, well, she started naming them one by one. He said, no, no ma'am, I don't need their names. I need to know their numbers. How many, how, the number, how many do you have? And she got offended. She said, sir... I love all my children. I gave them names. I never numbered any one of them and slammed the door in his face. Names are important. Think about being a child of God. If, if you're a child of God, you are a Christian. Now, when we talk about Christian, what does that mean? Well, I want to talk about that in the message tonight. There's a text found in Acts chapter 11. You're familiar with it. Verses 25 and 26. Look at it with me. It says, Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul, and when they had found when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. In your Bible, you'll only find three passages where the term Christian is ever mentioned. One is this text. Two is Acts twenty six and verse twenty eight, when King Agrippa said to Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And the third one is found in 1 Peter 4.16 where Peter says, Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. Now, 
Throughout all of history, there have been many titles assigned to the people of God, the children of God, in the Bible. They've been called disciples of Jesus, saints of the Lord, believers, brethren, and many others. And there's this new movement today that the younger folks think we ought, instead of calling ourselves Christians, ought to call ourselves Christ followers. I don't have a problem being called a Christ follower, but I certainly don't have a problem being called a Christian. Been called a Christian ever since I was 12 years old when I asked Jesus to come in my heart and save me. And I don't have any problem with telling somebody I'm a Christian. And I don't think any church member or any Christian should have a problem with it. But let's talk about this name. You see, it actually came from unbelievers who used it to describe new believers. Early in the early days, it was a, a, a derogatory term. It was kind of like, you know, in our days, we'll say, well, there's Mr. High and Mighty, or there's Miss Know-It-All. In the early days of Christianity, those who were zealous in following Christ, everybody else would look at them and say, looky there, there goes another one of those little Christs. It was a derogatory term. It was not until the third century that the term really took on the meaning of what it means truly to be a child of God, a Christian. So wouldn't it be great? I think it'd be great if everywhere you went, somebody say, look at there, there goes a Christ follower. I, there goes a Christian. There goes a believer. There goes somebody who believes in Jesus. I think that's the greatest compliment anybody could say to me. Somebody asked me one day, they said, Brother Sid, when you die, what do you want them to say about you? I thought about that several days. I, I'm not a, a, a man who looks for much glory or, or, or pompous circumstance, but I, I finally settled on that. And, and if, if somebody could just say he was a man of God because he lived for Christ, that'd be all I'd need to know that that I had to have said about me. There, there goes a Christian. There she goes. There she is, that little little Christ. In the first century, the word Christian meant a little Christ or a follower of Jesus. And then again, as I said, about the third century, it claimed or it changed and took on the, the, the greater meaning. So many are still misinformed today and have misunderstandings about what it really means to be a Christian. I heard about a little boy who said to his daddy, Daddy, what is a Christian? His daddy thought about it a few minutes, and he answered it as best he knew how. He said, well, son, a, a Christian somebody that's good, kind, loving, forgiving, self-controlled, and, and uh, loves the Lord. And he said, Daddy, have I ever seen one of those people? You know, a lot of people have that attitude today. There are a lot of people. I, I, uh, I have a nephew that's getting married in October. And he and his fiancée came to see me yesterday, and I knew it was going to be a tough go because neither one of them in church, and I knew that. Neither one of them have never been in church very much, and, and uh, I don't marry somebody unless I know they're a Christian. So I knew that yesterday we were going to have a strong talk about their salvation, and I confronted them. And that girl told me, she said, Yeah, I was baptized when I was nine. I said, uh, no, no, I ask you, do you have a relationship with Christ? Well, I do, but it came much later than that. I didn't know what I was doing when I was nine. I said, well, I said, you know, uh, do you know what it means to be a Christian? Yeah, it means to be baptized. I'm going to talk more about that in a minute. So you see, see, there's a lot of misconceptions out there about what a Christian is. If we were to get a team up out of this group here, all of us were able to go over to the mall 
tomorrow and sit there a while and interview people, you'd be amazed if you asked them one by one what a Christian is at their answers. Let's just think about that for a minute. We're sitting over there, and, and, and here comes a businessman. He's got on a three-piece suit. He's, he's well-dressed, distinguished-looking man. And we just step up and said, Sir, would you mind us asking you a question? No, what, what, what you want to ask me? Do you know what a Christian is? He said, Sure, I know what a Christian is. Uh, a Christian is somebody who lives a good life. Well, a good life is commendable. And we ought to all strive to live good lives, and they ought to be lived. But living a good life doesn't make you a Christian. You see, they're good men, morally, generous, kind people who are going to die and go to hell. Hell's going to be full of good people. People that give you the shirt off of their back, but they're going to die and go to hell. Why? Because they never had a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And can I just tell you something? A good man who dies without Jesus is just as lost as a mass murderer. There's no difference. They're lost and they're going to hell. Well, here comes a grandmother. And we step, ma'am, could we ask you a question? Sure. Uh, what, what does it mean to you to be a Christian? Well, to be a Christian means you ought to be raised in a good Christian home. Well... I've got to tell you, that's one of the richest heritages anybody could have, is to be raised in a good Christian home. But you're not automatically a Christian just because you were raised in a Christian home. Just because, you know, our, our heredity tells us sometimes we have a chin or a hairline or a hair color like our parents. Christianity is not hereditary. It doesn't take on the shape of a nose or the the shape of your arms or whatever you look like, your daddy. When I look in the mirror today, I'm 66 years old, and every morning when I look in the mirror, I see my daddy. I look just like my daddy did when he was my age. And, and, and uh, I think he was an awfully good-looking man, I just got to tell you that. But still, I'm just saying, I got his genes because I look like him. I look like my daddy. Well, looking like my daddy makes me his son, but I got to tell you, just being raised in a Christian home does not make you a child of God. Being a Christian depends on a personal decision for Jesus. Now, here comes a yuppie. He's got his eyeside shirt on, his docker pants, his Reebok shoes, and we stop him. Sir, can we ask you a question? Sure, what? I said, what does it mean to be a Christian? Well, you say, uh, well, you know, I think being a Christian is being a member of a church. Well, i got to tell you something. Many times when I've been out knocking on doors or I talk to somebody about their soul, I ask them if they're a child of God, and they'll say, Yeah, 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 I belong to such and such church. And and I, I, I'm always amazed because most of the time as director of missions, when they told me what church it was, I knew the pastor, and I'd say, Well, who's the pastor of that church? They had no idea. You know what they told me? They wasn't a member of the church. They didn't know what it meant to be a member of the church. Your name can be on a church roll and yet not be in the Lamb's book of life. Well, here comes a, a mother with two teenage sons. Ma'am, what does it mean to be a Christian? Well, be a Christian means to be baptized. Well, can I tell you, baptism doesn't make you a child of God. It's wonderful to be baptized. It's a great moment for the believer 
but being baptized doesn't make you a Christian. That girl yesterday, when she told me I was baptized when I was nine years old, she's saying, I'm saved because I was baptized. I told her, you're not saved from your baptism. And then as I talked to her, I found out a couple of years ago, her daddy got killed and, and died, and, uh, and she had an experience with the Lord. She got saved, and I went in great length to explain to her that they both need to now get in church they need to both make a profession of faith. They need to both experience believer's baptism. But none of that stuff has nothing to do unless they ask Jesus in their heart. One old black preacher said, uh, you can be baptized so many times, you know every the name of every frog in the old frog pond. But being baptized will not make you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. So, some things just don't make you a Christian. So what does make a Christian? If living a good life, being born into a Christian home, being a member of a church, being baptized doesn't necessarily make you a Christian. It helps to be a good Christian, but not make you a Christian. That doesn't make you a Christian. What does? Well, I want to give you five quick words tonight. You may want to jot these down that'll help you understand what it means to be a Christian. Number one is the word saved. Let's just mark it down. If you want to be a Christian, you must be saved. Saved. That term's used in the Bible to describe what happens when one repents of sin and comes to Christ. Acts 2.47, the Lord added to the church daily such as should be what? Saved. Acts 4.12, neither is there salvation in any other, no other name under heaven by which man can be saved except the name of saith, Jesus. Acts 16, 30 and 31, the Philippian jailer asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Romans 10, 13, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So if we're saved, what are we saved from? Well, three things. First of all, we're saved from depravity. What is depravity? That's what we were. We were sinners. We were hell bound. We were going to hell. We were depraved, but... When we got saved, we're saved from depravity. Secondly, we're saved from death. There's three kinds of death you're saved from. Physical death, the separation of the soul from the body. Spiritual death, the second death, separation of the soul from God. That's what happens if you die lost. And then the spiritual death, where you uh, it's the difference of, of death in the soul and sin in this life. Ephesians 2.1 teaches us that. You hath he quickened or made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. I was dead as a lost man, but I'm very much alive in Christ. So we have to understand that. And the third thing it saves us from is doom. I preached on that this morning. The word save, salvation means we have uh, been rescued or delivered. In Christ, you are both. You're rescued and you're delivered. So the first thing is you're saved. Second word, you're sure. This is confidence. My wife had a friend, and he had a little bit of a speech impediment, and she, she, she mocks him a little bit at times when she's picking at me. He used to say, I got confidence in you. I got confidence in you. She said, he, if he ever said he had confidence in you, he had confidence in you. He believed you were going to do what you said you'd do, or you were able to do what you said you could do. And i got to tell you something, folks. If you're saved, you're going to have some confidence. You're going to have confidence. Amen? You know you're saved. There's this false philosophy floating around that says you can be saved and not know it. 
Well, that's a devil's lie. Now, I agree with the old black preacher who said, if you can be saved and not know it, then you can lose it and not miss it. I- I'm here to tell you that if you're saved, you know you're saved. You know when I know I'm saved? It's when things get tough. When I'm grieving, the Holy Spirit comforts my heart. When I'm worried, the Holy Spirit speaks peace in my life. When I'm struggling, the Holy Spirit is my companion. Let me give you three quick assurances of this. Turn to 1 John. Over in 1 John, we want to look at two or three scriptures here. When, when somebody comes to you and they say, Look, I'm doubting my salvation. Let me just tell you what you tell them to do. Do, do. do what I tell them to do. Go to 1 John. Read the book of 1 John. It is full of assurances. Let me share three of them with you real quickly tonight. First of all, three quick assurances. The first one is external assurance. Look at 1 John 3.14. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. Now get this. Is there a love in your heart for the people of God. Do these people that are sitting around you tonight and others that were here this morning, others that maybe can't be here because they're members and they're shut in or whatever, maybe they're out of town, whatever, but you love your church. You love to be around the people of God, and when you're not around them, you miss them. That's a great assurance that you're a child of God. It's an external assurance. You want to be around Christian friends. I told this young couple yesterday, I said, y'all have got to find you a church. You've got to plant your life in a church. And he said, well, Brother Sid, Uncle Sid, there's a, church, a little church right down below the house there where Granddaddy went. I, I guess we'll go down there. I said, no, you won't. They run about 12 people. Granddaddy stayed there because he'd been there all his life. I said, if you go down there, how many other people your age is going to be down there? Well, there's nobody down there. I said, exactly right. I said, you go to one of the big churches in town. It's got big Sunday school classes with other Christian couples in there. And you get in there and plant your life and you build you some friends and you hang out with them and let them hang out with you. Because if you don't, you'll get out here, you'll start running with worldly friends. And I'm telling you, listen to me, there's nothing that will subject your marriage to destruction quicker than that. It's like Pico's Bill, I told him. Pecos Bill was raised by a family of wolves. And he was full grown before he knew he wasn't a wolf. Why? Because if you run with wolves, you're going to act like wolves. Amen? But if you run with godly people, you're going to run with godly people. If you run with ungodly people, you're going to be ungodly. Is there a love in your heart for the people of God? Internal evidence. 1 John 3, 24. We know that he abides in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. Deep down inside your heart, God has given you inner witness, the Holy Spirit. And you know he's there. When your heart's broken, he whispers, I love you. When you don't think you can go on, he whispers, I'm with you. When you're sick, he says, I'll heal you. He's ours. He's mine. He'll tell me it's okay when nobody else can. Thirdly is the eternal assurance. Look at 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. You're just sure. You're just sure that you have life in Christ. You're saved, number one. Number two, you're sure. Now the third word. You are separated. 
you should be different from the world. You are now light in darkness as a child of God. You just don't fit in the world anymore. The things of the world make you miserable and uncomfortable. I, uh, when Barbara was alive, she loved to have an aquarium. And we'd been married so many years, it was, we were to that point, like some of y'all in this room tonight. We, time for birthdays, anniversaries, Christmas, we, we had everything we needed, didn't know anything we wanted. And it's just hard to find a gift to surprise her. She had a birthday coming up. And I decided, she loved that aquarium so much, I decided I'd go down to the pet store and get her some fish. She loved beautiful fish. I went down there. They had two of the prettiest fish I've ever seen. One of them was a sunshine yellow, and the other one was a, a sky blue. I mean, those are the two prettiest fish I've ever seen. I said, ma'am, how much of those fish? She told me after I got up off the floor, I said, I said, well, it's for my wife's birthday, so I want both of them. She said, uh, now, sir, does your wife have a freshwater or saltwater aquarium? I said, well, I reckon it's freshwater. She gets water out of the spigot. She said, well, these fish won't live in that water. I said, why? She said, they're saltwater fish. Their nature is saltwater, not freshwater. I said, hmm, how long will they live in there? Because I was going to give them to her anyhow. She said, she said, about as long as it takes you to drown. I said, well, we better not go there. Why? Those fish couldn't live in that freshwater tank. Why? It wasn't their nature. When you get saved, sin and sinful places and sinful people are no longer your nature. And if you're truly saved, you get very uncomfortable when you're in a place or with somebody that is uh, discomforting to your nature and your spirit. Have you ever just walked in a place and you realize as soon as you walked in there as a child of God, you didn't belong? I have. And you have to. And why is that? It's because of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. We're to be separated. You're to be saved, sure, separated, for. You're to be spiritual. Being spiritual comes naturally for the Christian. You are, after all, a little Christ. Your whole life changes. You're now, you now prioritize God and the things of God into your schedule. It's called service for Christ. You don't have to be begged to go to church. You don't have to be begged to love your Bible. You don't have to be begged to care about people in the name of Jesus. When you're truly saved, you should never have to be begged to serve the Lord God. You should serve out of your spirituality. You're saved, sure, separated, and spiritual. And then lastly, you're satisfied. There's a kind of a contemporary song, Brother David. You probably could tell me the name of it. I, I don't know it, but I heard a choir sing it not long ago. And, and so the main message of the song is, I won't go back. I won't go back. I like that. Because folks, i got to tell you, when I got saved, I made up my mind I wouldn't go back. I've never met anybody. I have never in 46 years preaching met anybody who truly met Jesus that ever wanted to go back. Never have. No one ever wants to return to sin if they truly met Jesus. You're satisfied. God in salvation provides a product that is marked satisfaction guaranteed salvation is not Jesus plus anything it's Jesus and folks that's everything you see we're complete in Christ David understood that when he said the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want little girl said one time the Lord is my shepherd and that's all 
I won't. That's why we can say we're satisfied with Jesus. No matter where we are, no matter what circumstance we're in, we can find peace and satisfaction in Christ. So the name Christian, what does it mean? Well, it's not living a good life. It's not being born into a Christian home. It's not being a member of a church. It's not even being baptized. It's knowing that you're saved, sure, separated, spiritual, and satisfied. The question is, are all those things a part of your life tonight? I'm not going to give